most startups struggle because they don't have the funding in place to bring in the right talent, the right people to their organization. Today, we're going to talk about a resource that helps you overcome that hurdle. You're going to love this interview. Welcome to another episode of the Harvest Growth Podcast, focused on helping consumer product companies, inventors, and entrepreneurs harvest the growth potential of their product businesses by teaching cutting-edge marketing strategies and interviewing successful marketers, as well as product marketing experts that share their stories to inspire you to achieve hyper-growth for your own business. I'm your host, John LeClaire, founder and CEO of Harvest Growth, and I believe that if you want to make your product the next household name, you just need to follow the right plan and that even the best products struggle to succeed when they step away from proven strategies that work. If you'd like to learn more about what we call the perfect launch process for marketing products, check out harvestgrowth.com. And if you still have questions on how you can implement this process for your business, you'll see a link on our homepage to set up a free consultation with one of our product launch specialists. I'm excited to have on the show today the founder and CEO of Gusher.co, Gusher.co. His name is Chris Joyce. He has an amazing level or amount of experience founding 24 companies in the high-tech space, consumer goods, health and manufacturing. I'll say some great things about him that he probably won't share for himself because I'm sure he's, he's humble with the successes he's had. But he's sold his products in you know, more than 11,000 stores in 23 countries. His products are used by people in over 148 countries phenomenal success he's had. But he, I would say more importantly, realized after the success that there are many good ideas that don't ever get out there, that don't ever make it this far. And so he's developed Gusher.co, this platform to help inventors, entrepreneurs, startups to get to get their business started without having to get crazy amounts of funding from venture capital, but to still have the resources that are necessary to succeed. And he'll do a way better job at explaining the business model than I will. But Chris, welcome to the show. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I, I started it off the story of Gusher, but I'll let you yeah. complete it. So how does Gusher work? How do you help entrepreneurs? Sure. Well, think of it this way. You know, I'm going to ask you a quick question. All right. And maybe you know the answer. What's the biggest barrier to creating a startup? Funding is the big issue, right? Damn right. I mean, and now I'm going to ask you maybe a little bit more difficult question. What do you think the number one thing that money is spent on? Ah, interesting question. So I always say it should be marketing, <laughs> but right. oftentimes in my experience, it, it comes down to intellectual property and kind of these startup expenses that sure. often don't lead to much tangibly, at least, you know, in terms of getting to the market. We say it even more simply. Usually if you're building something from the ground up and you need the expertise of other people, the vast majority of those funds are going to salaries or to people in general. So what Gusher really is, it's a platform, it's a way, it's a methodology of creating a company from the ideation stage without the need for money. So how do you do it? Well, people join the startup in exchange for equity. So they work in exchange for equity. You're able to go ahead and as a founder, be able to get that company out of the gates very quickly. Instead of your chances of raising capital in the outside world of being about one in 700, with Gusher, your success rate in terms of doing that is about four out of five. So you have a very high chance of success by creating what's called an equity-based team or people that are working in exchange for equity to create that MVP, the minimum viable product, the proof of concept, the first version, whatever that first thing is to be able to get that company out the gates to then get either traction or 
attract larger scale capital now that you actually have whatever you need. That's fantastic. So who are these people that are yeah. you know, experienced but willing to work for equity and obviously take this risk up front? Well, think of it this way, and it's funny you say that you say the key word, experienced, okay? One of the things that if you're building up an equity type of team is you don't want to have really people joining your team that are learning in a way on your dime. It's something you don't want to do. You want to have pros and sharks and the people that are actually phenomenal at what they're doing. So what we've seen is the people actually come from all across the globe and in all different walks, all different types of businesses, whatever it is. So we have everything from mathematicians to material scientists to software developers uh, to pharmaceutical formulators, do you name it, uh, literally people will come into a startup, but the reason they usually join a startup is something about it resonates. So these are usually professionals that they already have income, all right? They already have a business uh, there that's generating cash flow. They've already done it in many different ways, and what they're really looking to do is join a startup that they can have an impact in perhaps a different way or a bigger way or something that is what we call the vested interest market, the VIM, that it actually really speaks to them. And that's why they end up joining a specific startup. So they can be from anywhere. That's fantastic. You know, I think back to my, my career. So I've, you know, I've been at Harvest Growth since I founded this now 13 years ago. And so we deal with a lot of inventors and entrepreneurs. But before that, I was always at larger companies, you know, Oxygen, yep. Kraft, Fortune 500 companies like that as well. And, and it's interesting, everybody that I talk to, Oh, great product. In fact, I'm having breakfast today with the, with the founder. I'm really excited about that to connect with him again. But it's, it's interesting as I, you know, not just OxyClean, but even the big Fortune 500 companies, these people, these executives that have an amazing level of experience want to be entrepreneurs. They're right. They have this dream, yep. this desire, but they don't feel like they can give up the day job or the, right. the, you know, the, the security that they have with that. So I love that there's, there's this outlet now where they, they can be a part of these startups without leaving their day job until the timing is right, right? Until the end. Yeah, exactly. But it also, what we've seen is, is that you definitely have that side of it. You have it where, what we call the entrepreneurs, where they're joining a startup. We have founders and we call the rest the entrepreneurs, even though the founders are entrepreneurs themselves. But what we've seen also is a lot of the best founders are people that are coming from these larger companies that have been, I don't want to say stuck, but they have the golden handcuffs where they may already have kids in college. Uh, they may have already been through the rigmarole and they have a couple mortgages and something along those lines and you're right they can't necessarily take that huge leap but what we've seen is those people a lot of times are the best at attracting teams they're the best at getting deals out the gates and they just know how to do it they were just never able to apply it in their specific way inside the larger companies so all those lessons start adding up over the years and it's something they can actually utilize in a quick way and I talk to a lot of inventors, entrepreneurs, you know, if you talk about it as a startup, many startup entrepreneurs or business owners realize they've got to build a team around them, you know, especially in the technology space. And there are yep. others that you feel almost like you can and should do it all yourself, which in reality as an entrepreneur, you can't, right? You've got to realize limitations. In the beginning, you've got to wear a lot of hats, but sure. you've got to wear all the hats, right? You've got to find the right expertise that can help you out. Right. Well, we think of it this way, all right? There, there's obviously the way of going through that learning curve, what we call the entrepreneur's education in the beginning stages, that if you've never done it before, you really should go that really difficult route of doing everything yourself because it teaches you that that is the most horrific route there is. Uh, it's painful. It's costly, especially with time, not just money, but with time. So what we really deal in terms of gusher is what we call leapfrog. So when you're going to go ahead and create a startup, create something from the ground, 
wound up. You can do it that hard, difficult, your own individual way, or you can bring in a team of professionals that are experts and better at what they're doing in those specific verticals. And instead of coming out with an MVP, a first version company, that is what we call first generational. It's something just to get out the gates. Instead, when you bring in a team like that, what ends up happening is you leapfrog, you create what's called generational development, and you go into something that is now commercially viable. And there's something fundamentally different between creating a business that is commercially viable just as, versus just, let's say, grinding it out yourself in the beginning stages. When you have a team behind you, different types of magic happens, and those synergies are not BS. They actually add an extreme amount of value. Absolutely. And I think so many will grind it out for a period of time and almost give yep. up, right? It takes too long. They never actually get it off the ground. And so some, yep. some of the best ideas never come to fruition because of that. They're held back. No doubt. We have a saying that we say one plus one does not equal two. One plus one equals done. And what we mean by that is when you're creating a company, if you're going solo, it's a bitch. It's exactly like what you just stated. All right. It's something that's extremely difficult to go ahead and do. But the second that you bring on one additional key person, and we've seen it time and time again, it's like dominoes falling in place. One plus one equals done, meaning that that team ends up following. Uh, all the barriers start cracking. The magic starts happening. Happening. The synergies start happening. One plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals done. That's a great soundbite and a great summary that it's very true, I'll say. So do you have an example you could walk us through of maybe one of the successes that has come through the Gusher system and how this- Yeah, sure. Out? One of our very, very first deals right now, and you have to understand, Gusher actually is very, very young. We're coming out of beta ourselves. So we have our first 100 and about 35 companies on the platform right this second. Over the course of the next about three years, we're launching about 25,000 plus startups based upon what we're doing right now. But one of the first companies coming through actually the game is a company called Baru, B-A-R-U. And Baru was a very interesting deal. It's actually with what basically you were describing a bit earlier. Uh, founder's name is Tino Go. Tino went ahead and he was working in middle market finance on a bunch of M&A stuff. Uh, you know, extremely technical person. He created an application, what's called an augmented reality app, uh, where basically you take a picture with your phone, you're able to go ahead and size custom furniture, custom sized furniture, not just custom furniture, custom sized furniture that feeds to a factory floor that's local to you, uses the excess capacity of the manufacturing firms already in place, and you get furniture pretty damn quickly at the cost of regular furniture that's custom, delivered, and made actually in a local way. And that company has started taking off. Uh, he was able to attract a team on Gusher. He was able to get all the different applications and technical applications created. I uh, was able to go ahead and start bringing it to market, attracted outside financing, and still continues to do so, and is off to the races. Wow, it's a great example. And it's a very complex idea like that. You can, you know, a lot of people say when they see a big success out there, oh, I had that idea years ago. I never did anything sure. with it because it's so hard, right? Yeah. And I imagine you know, he could have by himself gotten stuck and never gotten this off the ground because you need the team behind you to build something so complex like that. So that's fantastic. Exactly. And, and a lot of the deals and a lot of the companies, and if you think about it, you've got a great idea, but you need the expertise of others to bring it to life. That's what Gusher does. It helps you go ahead and get those people and bring those ideas to life when you need the expertise of others. So on your website, you call the experts roles, right? That's what these people are called. You bring in exactly. Sure. Roles. So how do you find people for these roles or how do you find these roles? 
Sure. It's really a couple different methodologies. One, we've been out there now where what ends up happening is we're a magnet. So we're out there. People find us. It's one of those things that we're all over the web. We're everywhere. So people literally just start finding the startups and they come in, basically an inbound pull type of mechanism. The other side of it is we do a lot of outbound ourselves. So we actually hunt. We find. We find the fits for it. So, you know, whether it's going ahead and visiting 30 cities over the course of 30 days, which is coming up, uh, whether it's going ahead and being out there in all these different conferences and events, whether it's really our extensive network, we are everywhere. So that's really how we basically do it. And what type of businesses best fit your model? It's funny you say that. We thought initially when we started this that it would start being a certain quote-unquote type of business. And we thought, okay, maybe it would end up being primarily more of software development oriented where you have these teams where you need a front-end, back-end, UI, UX, you need a typical marketing person, CTO. And while that has panned out and we have a lot of tech deals, what we've also seen is a lot of consumer goods companies. We've actually seen medical device companies. Uh, we've seen hardcore manufacturing companies, distribution companies, service models, it's, it's not like that at all. So it's a very, very widespread, pretty much any application where you need other people, but you don't have the funds to go ahead and actually get that idea off the ground, but you still need those people. That's really what Gusher really comes in and does. Now, Chris, you've had an amazing level of success on your own before starting Gusher. Do you get involved as one of these roles at times to help some of these startups? Here's the funny thing. We, we don't really get involved in a role per se, but here's the way it ends up playing out. We always go ahead and get involved in the startups really deeply because we have a vested interest ourselves. We don't charge. Uh, we're an equity player ourselves, meaning that the only way that we get equity, just like the people that are joining the startup, is if they succeed, if they actually launch. So it's in our best interest to also go ahead and be rowing in the same direction. So to answer your question, yes, we get extremely involved. So much so that I was on a phone call coming in this morning to the office, literally having a what do I say in this conversation coming up instructional call. And literally it's like, okay, you say this. We get really granular and we help them out in any damn way we can. And if I come to the website, I, you, you can see by category, there are types of people that can help me out and it might range. It might say, you know, somebody to help you with marketing might be 2% to 6 I'm making these numbers up. But sure. like yeah, a, yeah, range yeah. Of, a range of equity based on, I'm sure, on experience. Do you guys give advice on how much is the total equity you want to yeah. give out or give up when you're starting an organization or starting a company like this? Phenomenal question. And, and really, it's an insanely great question. This is the yardstick that we always say. When you're creating an MVP, a first version, a proof of concept company in the beginning stages, the maximum that you want to give up is 20% to be able to get that off the ground. Now, the more that you can do, great, the better. So if I'm a founder and I'm creating a company, and let's say it's something that's extremely difficult to do, you may end up having to give up 20% and still retain 80% to be able to get that company going. But most times what ends up happening is it's a market mechanism based upon how well that company's idea resonates in the marketplace. So let me give you a quick example, okay? Something like Tino and Baru, that believe it or not, even though it came across as more of a technical explanation, it's a very big deal. Uh, it has a very, very big market in terms of what it's doing, so team members see that. It has something that has a very, very high upside. Something that may have a lower upside, the roles would end up getting a higher percentage, whereas something that may have a big upside, the roles may end up getting a lower percentage. But that's all negotiable. We don't fix it. It's something 
something that really the market just decides based upon the interactions with the founder. And so those conversations happen. And occasionally, you know, you end up having it where that team member is more valuable. They deserve more equity or they're bringing in something that is more key to the success of that company. Well, guess what? The point is to be flexible and to negotiate that. But to start off with, a founder should always retain a minimum of 80%, but hopefully higher than that to go ahead and get that idea off the ground. And do you have an average or maybe a recommended number of roles or people to bring in to help out? I know it's obviously different yep. for different various businesses, but maybe if there's an average of, or the type of people you should look for. Yeah, let me give an example. And you were covering a part of it in the beginning when you're talking about like the tech companies. And this is going to make sense at the end. So let's say you're building an application, a web application, or let's say you're building a SaaS type of company, you know, software as a service or something along those lines. Well, the instant thoughts are you're going to create this technical team. You're going to need your front end developer, your back end developer. You're going to need a UI UX designer to make sure that it makes sense. Uh, you're going to need some type of marketing side of it in terms of to make sure that the verbiage is correct etc. But one of the things that, that really is taken out of context, or I should say that isn't necessarily thought out ahead of time, is really that marketing sales validation side. So one of the things we always insist with teams is that, yeah, okay, let's say you're creating something that's a technical product. You have to have your technical team, but you also have to have your one, two, three key players, like a chief marketing officer, uh, your, your actual um, creative side of it, your copy, your sales validation as part of the process from the very beginning stages to make sure that that development process is creating something that actually will work in the marketplace instead of creating the solution that's then in search of a problem. That's literally what kills 99% of these companies that don't make it. Absolutely. You have to have that part thought out from the beginning. For sure. We talk a lot about that on this, on this podcast, about the value of testing early on, right? We talk about your concept. And I think one of the best things about it is it, you know, even if you quote unquote fail or don't perform well in this proof of concept test in the beginning, it doesn't mean your business is sunk. What it no. means is you've got to change course a little bit, right? You've got to, but it, you can do that now much more easily than you can after you've got a team, after you've got this thing, you're moving forward. It's like trying to steer a big ship, right? But absolutely. Yep, you know, let, like, let me give you a quick example, all right? We, we had it where I had a conversation at my son's basketball game. And brilliant guy that I was talking to next to me. I know he's, he has a successful business, everything else. And he's like, I've got this great product and starts going into the product and the manufacturing of the product and everything else. And he goes, I just know that all the big box stores will go ahead and buy this right off the bat. We'll have certain amount of distribution and everything else. You know, all I'm going to do is I'm going to start this company. We're going to start working on the manufacturing side of it, creating the product types. I'm like, let me ask you a quick question. All right. Why don't you just create a one pager, go ahead and put it out to the main top five, 10 buyers and see what happens. And he's like, huh? I go, literally what you should do is doing a pre-sale or a validation of that concept before you start spending all that time. The fact of the matter is it's going to take nine months to get a meeting anyway. In that amount of time, you could have the product created. You can actually have the manufacturing set up and everything else so long as you're able to get these appointments and the initial buy requests from them. And that's what people don't understand is that that's really the thought process to go about doing a lot of businesses in the beginning stages is to test with the people that are actually again, the vested interest market. In this case, the, those buyers of these big box stores was going to be his distribution mechanism and verify that you're at least getting something from it versus hearing crickets. 
I love that. That's uh, fantastic. It's a, a new way of testing, to be honest. I've never thought of it. We do a lot with retail and we do sure. a, a, some other testing methodologies. That's fantastic. We did it years ago. It. We've done it ever since and it works uh, because we know based upon the categories when the buyer reviews come. So we know our timeframes ahead of time. Uh, you can tell very, very quickly. But also there's another way of doing it too and it's primarily PR driven and you basically try to get PR uh, driven in a geographic area and if you're able to then generate consumer demand at the retail level, they'll actually contact the stores, a certain percentage of them directly, and then the stores contact you, and you end up having positive pull mechanism from that versus actually a pull, versus actually a push, uh, and that's more effective for penetration in the retail. Fantastic. I think a lot of people think that that's how Kickstarter works, right? That it's this way to test an early concept. But at the end sure. of the day, Kickstarter takes a ton of resources. It's expensive to do it right. You've still got to market. You're still putting all this money behind it. So your approach is a, is a way to do that with minimal expense. And that's still not free, right? But getting that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also think that this way, with something like Kickstarter, and, and if you look at Kickstarter's original history and the purpose, their, their original purpose is to create a store mechanism, believe it or not. Uh, if you take a look at all their trademark filings, and everything else. But what they've done is really with Kickstarter, you can't really get on Kickstarter unless the product already has a road to manufacturing. So it's not meant for really ideation stage. It's meant for something that you already have this product now. And so again, you're a product in search of a market and hopefully it works. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. You know, their numbers speak for themselves in certain categories. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to, as long as we're talking about Kickstarter, I want to talk about timing for Gusher and encourage our audience to visit the site. If you're, whether, whatever side you're on, whether you're a potential role or a potential startup seeking sure. help by other people out there, now is the time. If you think about this, you said a hundred and how many, 130? Business. Yeah, we have right now approximately 100 and I'm with the number uh, a little over 135, 137 right now. So, yep, but it's going up pretty quickly. So And 25,000 coming out soon. If you think back yeah. to the beginning of Kickstarter, some of the biggest successes in the early days were those early ones when the site was relatively small in terms of competition. Now, sure. if you go into Kickstarter or onto Amazon, it's like going on to Google, right? You've got yeah, definitely. thing in, in many. And I think that's at some point you've got the bigger you get in your business, the more you can help people. But for them to stand out, it's going to be easier in the beginning. Beginning, obviously, when of course, less, quote unquote competition to get the attention of these great roles that you've built up. So I encourage people to, if you're thinking about it, now is the time to get involved with Gusher. Absolutely. And, and it's like anything, you know, we definitely want to get the people in and we help them out. We're extremely hands-on and at this stage you have to be just like any business that's growing. At the same time, you know, we, we have a very long-term view of it. So we think there's an entrepreneurial shift that's going on out there. Uh, we think in terms of excess, excuse me, excess capacity and things that are growing in that way, that even that 25,000 number, it may end up being much, much larger. We'll see. But you're absolutely damn right when it comes to the timing of it. So, uh, what's next for your business? Sure. I literally grow the hell out of it and help out as many entrepreneurs as we can. That's what we're about. So, you know, we're market agnostic. We don't sit there like, let's say, judging the ideas per se. We add as much value as possible to help those founders get out the gates. And it's really just about if anybody out there has an idea, it's no longer a question of being stuck based upon geography, of being in a catch-22 based upon not really having the contacts, uh, being it based upon ethnicity, gender, race, uh, religion, whatever the hell the stupid reasons are that venture capitalists don't fund you, you don't have those excuses anymore. It's a function of really going ahead, putting your idea out there, and let's see what happens and actually make it happen because the resources are there when you start looking at it. 
And for anybody that's interested in, in be either becoming a role or a startup on the Gusher platform, what's the best way to get a hold of you or the business? Yeah, just shoot over to gusher.co. I'm very easily found, easily reached. Uh, our whole organization is really just about the founders and about the entrepreneurs, about the people that are involved with it. Our whole business is people and ideas. So it is what we do. It's not like you're put into some type of assembly line and you never hear from us, uh, like Kickstarter. Uh, really, we have an extreme amount of hands-on, extreme. Absolutely. So I, I, you have such amazing experience. I feel like we could go on for hours on this. At some point yep. we have to cut it off, but I do want to ask one final question. What, is there one piece of advice that you could share with inventors, entrepreneurs, or startup uh, businesses that are looking for help? What's, what's one piece of advice to help them succeed? This is the thing. If you're asking for only one piece of advice, I have to come back to what I call deal rule 28. All right. I've got this whole list of deal rules. Deal rule 28 it is really everything, okay? And it's fundamentally at the core and it's not necessarily gonna answer your question in the way I think that you want it. But deal rule 28 is I am enough, okay? When you're an entrepreneur, one of the biggest things that you run into is isolation, self-doubt. Uh, you never have the answers ahead of time, although you would like to. And fundamentally, wherever you come from, uh, whatever your educational level is, uh, wherever you're located, whoever you are, you have to trust that fundamentally you are enough. Deal rule 28, I am enough. When you do that, even in the days when you're alone, even when you're getting crushed, even when they're horrible, even if that's all you have to say to yourself as fuel, say it because that's all you need. Thank you, Chris. And that's great advice where everybody goes through that. The biggest successes of all time, if you think about the, you know, the whether it's inventors or business owners, the sure. biggest businesses that have been built, if you look back at their history, they went through this time of self-doubt and trouble, even with, with funding, even with maybe yeah. education or whatever it might be behind them. They felt like, so they may have had, you know, people that seem like they have everything put in place, they don't, right? They, they also exactly. have difficult times. And it's just that realization where even in, through difficulty, realizing you're enough. I love that advice. So again, Chris, thanks so much. This is a really fun interview. Can't wait to share it with our audience. I know they're going to love it as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for your valuable insights and for taking the time to share your story. Our audience of inventors, entrepreneurs, and product marketers will benefit greatly from what you've taught us today. For the listeners, go to their website to learn more. Also, be sure to check out harvestgrowthpodcast.com to see other episodes that we have recorded. And if you like this episode and you want to learn more about how you can profitably grow your consumer product business, please subscribe to our show and leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play.